This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. I'm an editorial assistant here at Slate, and I'm excited to be your host for this season of Working. For the next few episodes, we're going to be focusing on influencers, taking a deep dive into an industry that's changed from one that was really only understood by teens glued to their phones to one that is now covered by journalists at The New York Times and The Atlantic. But what exactly are influencers? As someone who spends a truly absurd amount of time on social media, even I found myself struggling to define who these people are as I planned out this season. So over the next few weeks, I'll be talking not only to self-described influencers, but to the people in the industry that's grown up around them. The conventions, the talent managers, the analytic companies, the people who really just allow influencers to be a thing. This week, we'll be talking with Frank Spadafora, founder of Demery Analytics and Icon, an influencer convention here in New York. Frank founded Demery back before Instagram really took off, and it's one of the first companies to try and use data to assign a dollar value to social media influence. Before companies like Demery, it was a bit of a wild west with rampant price gouging and undervaluing. And as one of the first companies to try and professionalize the influencer industry, Frank has a really great bird's eye view of how it's changed over the past few years. So what's your name and what do you do? My name is Frank Spadafora, and I have multiple jobs. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, but I currently have three operating businesses. Uh, the long-lasting one is called Deemery Analytics. Deemery is a social influencer platform that allows us to measure the value of social media influencers. Uh, the technology was built... Starting back in 2011, so we always kind of claim that we've been in analytics before Instagram was an app, mm. and it currently aggregates 56 metrics across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that allows us to, you know, assign a value to these influencers. In that company, we license that technology out to talent agencies as well as to different brands uh, who are just looking to identify the best influencer to promote their, you know, content or yeah. their campaign. And then late last year, I founded two different businesses that kind of are adjacent and they work really well together. So one is called Icon. And Icon is a conference. It's the physical manifestation of social media where we're bringing together influencers and their audiences or their fans and hosting meet and greets and really kind of fun pop-up, you know, installations. And 
And it was super inspired by like the BeautyCon, DragCon, all those types of conferences. But we didn't feel like New York had a really strong one that we that we could uh, send influencers to. So we decided to do it ourselves. And then lastly, good friends of mine, Ryan and Sam Rattel, we always had talked about how Broadway actors were really underrepresented in the influencer community and for digital advertising opportunities. And so we decided to partner together and form the cast agency. Uh, we represent 45 Broadway actors as digital and social media influencers. Uh, everybody from Billy Porter, Tate Diggs, um, mm. A long list of, yeah. of influencers from the Broadway community. And that's kind of really fun right now to be focusing on. Of course, Billy's having a tremendous, you yeah, know, he's rise. Had a big year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, those are the three companies that I have, and they work really well together. And and we're kind of just in the influencer space. I feel like I've, I've been doing influencer stuff, yeah, since about 2011. So how did you get started in this? And was it really called the influencer space before you, like when you started in 2011? Yeah, I think it was really undefined um, back then. And still to this day, largely, there's a lot of misinformation. There's Mm. a lot of, you know, guesswork that goes into working with influencers, which is a shame because the whole, the value of it to brands and to advertisers is that it is a very clearly definable platform to measure, you know, return on investment in advertising and marketing or PR even. But back in 2011, I got started because I was working for a company called MyCon, which was a production company, and they handled advertising production. So actual photo shoots for like Victoria's Secret, Intimacy Me, Ugg Australia, you know, different fashion brands. And I kind of took on the role of casting for that company. And so while I was casting for these great advertising campaigns, the talent agents and the brands started having more and more conversation about social media and actually having the talent not just appear in the campaign, but then also distribute content across their social media. And of course, then you ask, you know, the agents who represent the the top models, hey, how much is it for her to put something up on her Facebook or Instagram? And God bless them, but they're over the age of 35. So they were like, <laughs> you tell me. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so we really understood that there was kind of a, a missing platform to kind of standardize the valuation process of influencers. And so my co-founder and I started the company and I was able to apply it to these really high-end campaigns pretty much right out the gate. And from there, continued to focus more and more on the social analytics side of things and start to be able to predict the value of how much somebody is going to create in terms of click-through and sales and uh, sales conversion. And so we got started, I got started kind of through casting original advertising and then from there building it out with my co-founder Matt. And it's great because Matt is a, you know, 50-some-year-old dad who lives in Seattle, outside of Seattle, which is where I'm originally from, and uh, doesn't really know the inner workings of the fashion industry, but is a phenomenal uh, CTO. And and I don't know a lick of code. I couldn't, <laughs> you know, I have yeah. a hard time logging into Instagram sometimes. So <laughs> Um, <laughs> so it works out, yeah. and and we've been we've been working side by side now since 2011. That's really amazing. Yeah. So, I guess one of the questions I have is: you say influencer is kind of an easily definable space, but how would you define influencer? I find myself tripping up between defining the difference between influencer and celebrity because they overlap, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, and I think that like here's the thing about this entire conversation is that whoever you talk to is going to have a different definition. Mm -hmm. And so when I say it's easily definable, what I actually meant to clarify is you can't measure the value of a billboard 
mm-hmm. easily, you know, or that marketing flyer or a billboard outside of a bus station. You can't easily, unless there's like a QR code or something like that. But with social media, you can track how many people saw that tweet, click through the link, what page did they land on, what did they put in their shopping cart, and ultimately what was sold. I mean, that is such insight that no other platform or, or form of advertising really allows to to follow that sales funnel for brands. And so that is that's the value of of you know influencer marketing or just digital social media marketing in general. What is an influencer? Uh yeah, I mean I we look at it at different levels of influencers. There's obviously celebrity, which is household names that you and I know. Um, and they can be models, bloggers, actors, chefs, musicians, you know, anybody who's got an audience that is willing to uh, be influenced by something that that individual is posting. And that influence could just be, you know, as much as going to an e-commerce website or all the way through to making a purchase. And so then, of course, you have like your social influencers who are people who, <laughs> there's so many documentaries lately that have, side note, there's so many documentaries that have come out. I just watched this one the other night called Jawline. Have you seen this? Oh, I haven't. On Hulu? Watch it. What's it's, it about? It's, it's entertaining and disgusting at the exact same time. <laughs> Um, it follows like the journey of these like young up and coming influencers Ooh. and like, but it's grotesque. Like it's, it's not my problem with documentaries that lately I've been talking about influencer or trying to define influencer is that there's a lot of like, oh, this is shady or like the influencer yeah. world is negative in some way. When like I have the complete opposite point of view, this is an amazing opportunity right now for advertisers with creativity and there's a lot of brilliant content creators. And so when I think about like defining what an influencer is, I think about who is somebody who's original and creating content and using social media to distribute their opinions and thoughts and, you know, and an artwork. And it's less about the business side of influencer. It's less about, you know, here's somebody who's the measuring the likes and the follows and trying to get an audience and trying to trying to persuade people and, and get paid to persuade people. I mean, that's, yeah, sure, like we're all playing that game. But an influencer is is somebody who I think is more creative. And I think those are the ones that are also succeeding now that social media is no longer like a new shiny gem or the wild, yeah. wild west. I think that the influencers that are true to themselves and original at any level. That might mean having 2,000 followers or 2 million, you Mm -hmm. know, but the people who are truly the most influential are themselves. Definitely. I mean, getting back to what you're saying about the negative connotations of the influence industry, I definitely feel like that's what we all hear about. And I think that's what most people's first kind of brush with the influencer industry is. I'm thinking of the Firefest documentary and how it's influencers are portrayed as people who just scam people into buying things or even before we were on the mic we were talking about like your niece who is aware of these things that are happening online and how this is influencing children yeah that's the thing is like i so we started at demarie you know we're an analytics company so we approach this entire conversation with data Mm -hmm. and so you know when we first started we the reason why we wanted to standardize the measurement of the value of influencers is because a lot of mommy bloggers and and you know young teen guys who took pictures with a shirt off were charging five ten thousand dollars a photo and it was like where this where's the backup for this like <laughs> yeah. how are you wh- why why that number where how'd you come up with that mm-hmm. because I have a method that gets me to that valuation but what do you what are you saying to justify this and there was a lot of price gouging and so that is negative right but if you think about what was happening in the 60s with television and advertising and commercials you know i don't think there was the same vibe of like here's this great new media platform where people are ingesting a lot of content and 
then commercials came along and like, yeah, sure, people don't love them, but they didn't revolt the way that they're revolting against social influencers and digital advertising. People are like really annoyed when they see an ad on their social media. Um, and and so I don't know why there's such a negative vibe around it. I mean, the thing is, ultimately, I look at people who are like bitter about it. I'm like, hey, you have just as much of an opportunity to create a brand for you know, your lifestyle or or around your lifestyle and to monetize off of any influence that you can create. You know, it's democratized fame, social media has. And it just is like, they don't want to do it. Not everybody wants to be an influencer, thank God. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know. If everyone's an influencer. But for those know. that are, I mean, appreciate the work that they're putting into it because it is more than just a bunch of selfies. How much do you think of the negativity comes from our kind of suspicion of the platforms we're using, though? Like, I'm thinking about Facebook and Instagram and all of the various controversies that have come up, or even just the advertising within Instagram, where it feels like they're listening to what you're saying. Like, I'll talk about something and I'll get an ad for it, but obviously there's some right. there's something happening where they're not listening to me. I'm they're assuming. not. I mean, they're absolutely <laughs> not, but... I get what you're saying. I've yeah. totally been like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> what I am see. I clicking on? How exactly. do you know this? Yeah. Like, I did want cake. And now you're telling me. <laughs> and now you're telling it, me, so yes. Yeah. That makes, that's scary. Um, listen, I think that we love to kind of dog on like the Kardashians. And like when we reported a few years back that, you know, uh, Kylie was worth a million dollars per post for a single post across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You eye roll at that because that's more than what most people make in their career, you know, let alone in a singular post. But nobody rolls their eyes when they hear that a 30-second Super Bowl ad cost $4 million, you know, and it's the same thing. It's She's got just as valuable of an audience as a Super Bowl viewership does. And so that is the rate, that is the cost to talk to that many, for a brand to use an influencer to talk to that many people. Why she has that many people and like, okay, you know, you can, you can get into a debate about that uh, but i think like it's a, just a phenomenal time right now for for brands to work with content creators and influencers and yes there's this kind of negative there was like an article that was like a few years ago saying like oh australian influencer reveals how much she's being paid and mm-hmm. it's like of course she's being paid it's an advertisement <laughs> yeah you know what i mean mm-hmm. like Yes, I don't understand why the word reveal or sneaky or like all these like negative are reported in the media when media outlets talk about influencers. It is a job. And if it's done well, people are able to support themselves just off of social media, you know, sponsorship deals. Definitely. I think the one of the misconceptions is because we all use social media, we're kind of just like, how are they using social media so much differently that I'm doing that their posts are worth a million dollars? How do you become an influencer? How do you build that audience? I kind of because there are people who have two million followers who can't sell things, but there are people with ten thousand followers who can convert that audience into buying anything they post. Yeah, and that that speaks to the authenticity of the audience. You know, there are many mechanisms to grow your followers inauthentically, either through purchasing or you know robots that can kind of act on your behalf on the platform and there's a lot of negativity around that and a lot of opinions especially because at first it was at first brands were only asking hey how many followers do you have that was the most important metric and astonishingly that is still the number one question it's just like well how many followers do they have and i'm like that does not count because of the math that you just said if they have got two million followers but they can't convert versus ten thousand, and they're going to convert that bag that is what you need to be looking at more and so that's why we really 
spend a lot of our time educating brands about the metrics behind social media that they need to be better paying attention to. So how does somebody become an influencer? You know, I think that it is it, it's somebody who, you know, has an interesting point of view, maybe has access to events or a point of view in life that not everybody does. So therefore, it's attractive to us to to follow their content. And so I think it happens really organically in the beginning. And then I think that once you start to apply a business perspective to growing the portfolio and and kind of branding your either yourself or what you're doing um, on social media, then it becomes a machine and you have to really kind of create an editorial calendar, post consistently, be active with your audience, you know, really plot out your content, which is why the people who are most successful at it, again, it's their full-time job. They're not doing it part-time. And so for the rest of us who just post for our friends and family, it's not our priority. We're not investing in it. With influencers, they're competing against people who've got an assistant, who've got a team of photographers that they typically work with, no location scouts, you know, or, or um, do it themselves, and and then create relationships with different brands and to activate, you know, and ultimately produce and distribute sponsored content. So I think it happens really or organically in the beginning. And then once people realize the money side of it, that then they put some structure in, into being consistent with posting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you say that people, brands still kind of look at followers as the primary metric, 100%. even though it's not as important as it should be. That's right. What are some, you said you have 56 different metrics that go into your influencer evaluation algorithm. What are some of the other metrics you're looking at? Yeah, so we're looking at frequency of post. We're looking at engagement. We're looking at click-through. We're looking at sales conversion. And then, you know, we break our influencers down into categories. So we've, we've segmented the audience that an influencer has, and we have started to identify what price points, what products, and what colors they're responding to. So that when a brand comes to us and says, hey, we've got a red leather bag that's $250, who's the best influencer to promote this? Oh, wow. That's right. Because you have access to all of this, these metrics, That's you know? Wild. Yeah. And so we're really trying to reduce the risk of brand spending. You know, when you say, hey, can you cut a million dollars for Kylie? You have to back it up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what Demery does. We we look at all these different type of metrics and some of them we pull through the APIs of the platforms and then others we've created our custom, you know, algorithms yeah. that help us kind of just store all this information and metadata. And yeah, that's... That's absolutely <laughs> wow. I would have never thought you could get as specific as like what color you need a specific influencer to like their audience is going to respond to. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy. But that's like when, you know, on this side of it, when I'm creating a technology that helps me identify that. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on the other side, like we said earlier about you get an ad for whatever it is that you were just talking about. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, how'd that happen? Yeah. Like, I kind of get it. Yeah. Like, it's actually not unrealistic to expect that if I'm clicking around on a few websites or if I'm liking a few things, uh, images on the platform, that they're smart enough to deliver me content that's going to keep me engaged and stay on the platform. Definitely. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, 
but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So you said you started this in 2011 before Instagram was really a thing, mm-hmm. but how do you think knowing all these kind of analytics has changed the way you interact with social media? Me personally? Yeah. Well, the good news is that I truly feel like I've never been, I, I just have never like compared myself. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who work in influencer marketing, there's two downfalls for people who are on the business side of influencer marketing. One, they all want to be influencers themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they get in the way of like creating wonderful content or or helping manage talent because they are just trying to become influential themselves. Luckily, I've been able to avoid that. And secondly, you know, it's like I used to be kind of in musical theater. So then you go to a musical theater and then, or you go to like a musical and then you're like, oh, that singer didn't have a great vibrato or like whatever. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with social media mm-hmm. where I'm looking at different content. I'm like, oh, that was a brilliant campaign. Or, mm. oh, that was like, this person's really trying hard, but I think they've got fake followers. Or, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it from more of a business point of view now. When I, but my personal social media is, um, I don't think of myself as a brand. I just do it to entertain my nieces and make them giggle. So tell me more about the influencer convention and how that came to happen. Yeah, so Icon, the the concept of Icon is that we have several brands who work with influencers quite a bit and uh, and it's it's two parts. There's one side of it, which is of course like a, con- a regular conference where we're going to have various panels and, and conversations and talk about different topics. But for us, we're, we're more interested in the audience attending being more on the business side of things and the influencers themselves. So we want to talk about FTC regulations. We want to talk about posting practices. You know, we want to talk about stuff to help them grow, both brands and influencers. Um, And then on the other side of the room, we've got actual meet and greets. And so each brand is hosting influencers in their branded areas, very Instagrammable kind of areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, each influencer can sell tickets to their fans to come and meet them and hang out, get the selfie and say hello uh, and sell their own merch and stuff like that. And we just feel like people forget about the social side of social media and that human interaction. And, you know, uh, we wanted to bring that kind of vibe to New York in a really 
fun, very cool experience. And and we've got a fun little details like we're we're compiling right now artifacts for a social media museum oh, um, to wow. like kind of show all the different yeah. like first off, you know the ice bucket that Kim used on Ellen, you mm-hmm. know, and like fun little moments that are monumental. Yeah. Um, if when you look at the past 10 years of social media and honestly, like that's all we got is 10 years of social media. Just about. That's what's absolutely wild is that it's so ingrained into our daily life and how mm-hmm. much it's changed just advertising and everything in general. And it's only been around for 10 years and it's yeah. still shifting so much. Yeah. So the convention is, is going to be a great time where we're still, we're still in the very early kind of planning stages of it. And we're working with a lot of really great influencers and brands, though, to come together and make this a fun event. Amazing. When yeah. is it? So it was originally scheduled to be May of next year, of mm-hmm. 2020. But the thing is, like, we don't want a fire festival situation on our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so we're going to take our time. We're going to produce it when we have everything kind of in line and can actually provide a really stellar experience. We're not trying to rush into it just to rush into it. As someone who is involved with the influencer side of it and the social media and the campaigns, what did you think of the Firefest? Well, did you watch happened? both documentaries? I did watch both documentaries. Okay, which one did you watch first? I watched the Netflix one first and then the Hulu one. I watched the most independent one first and mm-hmm. I was like, oh boy, he, he fucked up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, here's the thing. I don't blame Kendall Kylie and mm-hmm. like, or whoever, the girl, you know, GD, all the girls that were involved in it. I don't because they, you know, as much as they maybe shouldn't be, you can debate this. Like, I, there's so many offers coming through. And there's so many details about an offer that are hashed out before it even gets to the influencer. With the girls at that level, you know, it's it's conversations between the brand or the the fire festival and the agents before it even gets to the the talent for approval. And in the early stages, I'm sure they thought it was a phenomenal event. And this is kind of where the guys, you know, <laughs> messed up. Like they spent all their time promoting and all their money promoting the event and not enough on budgeting the actual freaking event. Yeah. So I don't blame the girls for because they couldn't have possibly known what that was going to turn into. But I I mean just what a what a colossal what a, and he's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I you know, don't know him personally, but like have no interest in working with him. He's not a smart businessman, which I think he I think he's currently like serving time for. Yeah, I think so. Or either he's going to trial. He's definitely there's something involving the criminal justice system with that. But I think that's what's so interesting about influencers is because with celebrities, you kind of assume they're very managed and there's so many layers between mm-hmm. brand deals and celebrities. Well, influencers, because they're kind of homegrown and they start this business themselves, it seems like there's more room to kind of fuck up like that, where you just don't mm-hmm. have like the business acumen to say, I know this is a good deal. It also seems like a way for influencers to get screwed over, but also screw over other people. I mean, but that's with any contract. Like, there are so many, you know, terms that may be left out or not prior mm-hmm. negotiated. And, like, I just don't think anybody could have foreseen what was so oh, yeah, definitely happening in that particular deal. <laughs> yeah. But I see that all the time where, you know, we got lucky. We were, we were going to work with some influencers who then, like, weeks later, you know, legal issues came up and, and in the media. And it's like, oh, like, we would have never asked them about that part of their life because we didn't care. You know, that's not what we were involved in. And like, thank God we don't have one of our brands now, a cast, uh, you know, because we handle the casting for brands uh, that work with Deemery. Thank God we didn't put that influencer into the campaign because it would have made them look bad. But how would you know that? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So that's the risk that you take with influencer marketing is like you, you know, some brands, they really need to take the time and do the research and vice versa. Influencers, I would encourage influencers to take their time, really look at the brand and make sure that they can authentically, you know, justify working with them and, and that, you know, really hopefully try to get a deal, a, a discount or something for their audience that is going to be impactful for their audience, not just give their audience another reason to roll their eyes at them. And on the, on the, on the brand side, you know, 
you have to do your research. I think that a lot of brands these days, we encourage them to pick your influencer and stay with them for three to five years. Talk to that influencer about the milestones that they have coming up in their life that you can help celebrate. So for instance, one of the best campaigns I think is out there right now is um, Chrissy Deegan and Pampers. Mm -hmm. And you know, you see her posting so authentically because she uses the product. And then the baby has his first birthday, Miles, or you know, something comes up. And and that's really organic kind of partnership between brand and influencer. And those are the campaigns that I think are the most successful. And there's nothing that I hate more than when you read a caption that is just like you can tell some marketing executive wrote this caption and was like just copy and paste this when you <laughs> when you post instead i love when an influencer is like hey i was having this problem in my life or like hey i couldn't find this chair and you know ultimately xyz brand you know got in touch with me and we designed it ourselves or they really helped me solve this issue like be transparent about the fact that you worked with a brand that's the beauty of social media like advertising is that yeah it's an advertisement but you can tell the story about how the idea came about you can't do that when you watch a commercial you don't know how they got there and creatively and um and so i think that influencers should be absolutely transparent about why they're promoting this particular product you know and and when you when you've done that research you avoid fire festival situations where you just they grab the money yeah, you know what i mean definitely. which respect i mean <laughs> i would too but uh backfired on everybody do you see a kind of lack of transparency in some of these campaigns or in some of the, like, I do see a lot of sponsored content where I'm like, this is so obviously you made money off of this mm-hmm. and there's like nothing related mm-hmm. to what's actually happening. But I'm thinking of like, because social media is effectively about transparency, even though it's very much just building an image of what your life is like. And so I'm interested in that tension between being transparent about the money you're making or why you're doing this thing. I think that... When it comes to disclosing advertising, the FTC has very clear guidelines for transparency, and they have started to catch up and crack down on this entire influencer advertising process. It took them a few years, but they I think they're they're getting there, which is going to just help everybody stay on the up and up. And nobody should be tricking their audience, you know what I mean? But if you look at a magazine, they have uh, advertorial content, you know? And that is what social media is. It's the same thing. It's It's a collaboration between editorial and advertising. And so... I think that what who's not being transparent these days are the influencers about what their lives are actually like. And I think that that is the bigger issue that I have when I see something that is like, you know, I know that just left of the frame, there is somebody holding up a light and somebody, you know, telling her how to pose and stuff like that, you know. And I don't mind those types of those shoots all the time, but that you can't have an entire feed of just that type of content. Like, you know, you wake up looking <laughs> You don't crazy. wake up like this. You, you are not, not Beyonce. <laughs> That's right. So you kind of talked a little bit about the pitfalls of working with influencers versus, I guess, other celebrities. What mm-hmm. are some of the other pitfalls? Well, I think it's an interesting thing how the influencer advertising and marketing kind of space evolved, you know, I go back and I compare it to commercials because with commercials, you know, to get a commercial out on air, you have to hire, a brand has to hire a creative team to come up with the idea, production team to actually execute, and a media buying team to do the strategy of where and when is that commercial going to be seen. And somehow when it comes to influencer marketing, brands are expecting talent agents to do all three of those jobs. And that's a mistake. I don't think that 
this should have, you know, the the negotiations and the conversation of content creation and distribution should have landed on the talent agent's shoulders. Talent agencies, if you look at the traditional modeling system, modeling agency structure, it's a rate card that was developed mainly by Eileen and Jerry Ford of the Ford Modeling Agency, where it was like, okay, this is the region, this is the amount of time that the image is going to be seen, this is the publication and its readership, and there was a it was an algorithm that you could say, okay, the model gets paid. $2,000, you know, or whatever it may be. With advertising, it was guessing up until very recently. Like, people who don't work with Dean Brew or another analytics company, they're guessing. And and so are the influencers. And there wasn't immediately, you know, when the platform started coming up and the money started being spending, it was up to just, hey, this is what you got paid last time, so this is what you need to pay me. And it's like, but I'm not asking her to promote a diamond necklace. I'm asking her to promote a $2, you know, teeth whitening solution. And her audience is not going to respond the same way. And also, what time is she posting? And and is that post staying up? You know, there's so many other terms now that need to be negotiated. And that's the pitfall of working with the bigger talent agencies that represent the top stars. You know, first and foremost, not every celebrity wants to be an influencer and not every celebrity has social media and cares about it. So that cuts out like half of a celebrity, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and then the other half are represented by agents who don't understand the difference and the subtle nuance between a like and a comment or a like and a poke. You know what I mean? And and so there, it's just an age thing. And I'm not ageist because... Lord knows when I was trying to start my company at 20, they, everyone was like, get out of here. You know, <laughs> yeah. what, what is this? But it's truly, you know, you got to understand the data behind what you're selling before you can sell an influencer. And I think a lot of celebrities, that's a big downfall with them is that they're bothered by this idea of social media, but they want the money, you know? So, so there's a disconnection between the amount of effort and work that they're willing to put in to grow a dedicated following that they understand so that they can then curate what brands they work with. Now, this is not across the board. There have been some celebrities that I've worked with who are phenomenal and who have turned down multi-million dollar checks for a singular post because they are like, hey, it doesn't align with my brand and my audience will super revolt if I take this offer. So I just can't do it. And I respect the hell out of that because it's like, it's a lot of money to turn down. Do you feel like influencers understand their audience more than other, I guess, forms of celebrities or like people who are normally doing advertising? Because before it seems like a sports star, a football player would get approached mm-hmm. by like Gatorade and be like, of course, this makes sense because he does this. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like influencers have kind of more of like a micro understanding of like what their audience is going to respond to? Or do you feel like they're starting to as the industry is getting more and more normalized with like analytic companies like yours? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that influencers above uh, the other types of influencers, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we talk about celebrities and stuff, are the most in tune with their audience, some of them, and the ones who are doing it really well. They know what their audience is going to respond to. But I think that the people who listen to their audience the most are the people that engage with their audience the most. And that means, you know, a lot of like a lot of influencers ask us, hey, should I, you know, not talk about politics, not talk about religion, not talk about their more like touchy elements of it. Uh, of their personal life. And I'm like, no, screw that. Lean in. Let people know who you are. Because 
yes, you might lose half of your followers or whatever, but the people that are going to stick around are going to be, they're going to double down on you. And so you have to be expressive. You have to be transparent. You have to be, you know, who you are and listen to your audience and see how they react to the different types of things that you're talking about on your platform or thoughts and opinions that you're sharing so that when it comes time to then apply the business side of it and and work with brands, you can really tell them, hey, I know that I have 10,000 followers or 50,000 followers, but they all, we all talk about skateboarding. And so therefore, I, you're going to sell stuff with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Over that celebrity who might have posted a skateboarding photo once or twice, but then didn't catch on that that's what their audience was really all about um, because they're not paying attention and they're, and, or they're just trying to be safe and they're not trying to, you know, disclose all the details of their life, uh, which, you know, there's some level of privacy that I can respect. Absolutely. But if you're going to try to grow a business about a brand about yourself, which I have thoughts about, um, you, you have to be authentic and you have to be kind of all in. Tell me your thoughts about building a brand about yourself. I don't know. Sometimes it's like a person is not a brand. And I mm. think a lot of people assume that they are. You know what I mean? Tell me. You know, can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, I just think like uh, so-and-so taking photos on the street consistently is like not a brand. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, I think a brand should be a separate entity from a human. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that it, you know, should involve product, not <laughs> persons. Um, okay. But, you know, I understand why people consider themselves brands, I suppose. And and I just think saying to somebody like, well, it's not really on brand for a human. It's yeah. like you think you talk about branding for a company or for a product. You mm-hmm. don't talk about it for humans. Yeah, that has really seeped into the general lexicon, though. Just saying like something's on brand or like I say that all the time, like that's so on brand for a human being. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's like a false sense of self-importance mm-hmm. when somebody's like, well, that's not my brand. Yeah. It's like, go, oh, fuck like, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were talking a bit about like mentioning religion and politics mm-hmm. in your personal like in your branding. And I'm curious as to whether you've seen that become more acceptable over the past like 10 years because I feel like a lot of advertising is apolitical or it tries to be apolitical, but influencers who are kind of selling this idea themselves kind of lean into, I've seen like feminism, for example, mm. or thinking of like DeRay McKesson who started as an activist in Ferguson and now does ads for McDonald's. And so it's this interesting selling of... Mm-hmm personal politics i think in america mm-hmm. it's it's you know you have a duty <laughs> to talk right now <laughs> yeah. about your politics and back it up and i think that influencers you know i think more so with politics these days yes have gotten very it's acceptable to talk about your political views um a lot of people stay away from it but the thing about when you put all this conversation through the prism of like a business and working with brands there's a lid for every pot there is going to be that brand that wants the person who's you know, a right-wing Republican to talk about their product. And there's going to, you want the lefty liberal. Like, there is a lid for every pot. And so what makes it harder for brands is when everyone looks the same and you can't tell the difference. And so I think that, yeah, you might be shutting yourself off to some opportunity, but then again, you're going to find a brand that wants to work with you because of exactly who you are and everything that you believe. Not Maybe not everything, but can get behind a majority of you. Okay, so taking it out from my macro to micro, what does your normal day look like? So... I I wish I was better at like time management to be honest with you. <laughs> I try real hard. Yeah. I really do. I have mainly two different teams. The Icon team is like a merging of my other two companies and, and the people that work with them. 
And so with the talent agency, I would say it's about 40% of my week or 40% of my day even. So within a day, you know, you wake up and you do your typical like morning coffee and like (laughs) uh, check emails and stuff like that. And right now I tend to be working with a lot of European brands and or in Chinese companies. And so I've got emails stacked by the time I wake up. And so you get through those no problem because you want to reach back to them before the end of their work day. And then you jump into usually like what's immediate, prioritizing like what needs to be resolved right now. And that usually means, you know, upcoming productions with Deemery uh, or where we're actually producing the content, the photo shoot, and or we need to get casting data back to the brand or maybe a wrap-up report or of a project that we just finished needs to go back to the to the client. And so I have, I assign and delegate duties to what needs to be done today. And then uh, I'll flip over to the agenting side where I am pretty hands-on right now because we're only a year old and and I'm teaching uh, right now our, our senior agent exactly how to do some stuff. And so then we'll we'll have conversations and finish out contracts for the talent that we represent, you know, that need to get done that day. And and I always try to stay a, about a week ahead of myself uh, so that I I know things that need to be done that day. I've, I've known about them having to be done that day. You know, this is yeah. the day that I've assigned them to get done. Because when you're juggling three different companies, you have to stay focused. And so... Yeah, I'm usually about a week out, which sucks for, like, social life and, like, scheduling stuff because it's, like, yeah. you missed the window. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Sorry, my week was booked yeah. last week. <laughs> hey, what are you doing tonight? There's a really fun event. I'm, like, sorry. sorry. Like, you had to, I'm a week out. And uh, which has been, like, a majority of my 20s. So, like, my friends kind of pretty much get that right now. I'm trying to not make that my 30s, though. I'm trying to be better at delegating moving forward and just, like, owning the, these entities but not being the day-to-day operator. You That's know like I mean? a transition I feel like has to happen when you are starting a business. It's like going from being like the one person uh-huh. to having people. Yeah, and over the, and over the course of Deemery specifically, I mean, day one, I was accountant, founder, tech guy as much as I could be. Like I was marketing, like I handled everything. Now over the years, obviously that has been compartmentalized and, and ciphered off to other people, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, but uh, we're we're in that be- that first year of the talent agency where everyone's hands on, which I love. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on my computer quite a bit. Uh, I tend to be that person in the office where like it's I don't need to be on set if I can avoid being on set or producing content or you know uh, if I can stay in the office on the computer, making sure that everybody else is getting everything done in the field. Then like that's the best thing. What are some of the most common fires you have to put out? Uh, contracts. I think I I tend to have a bit of a, I like contracts. You know, somebody one time told me, like, how do you navigate contracts? I was like, you just read it. You just take (laughs) your time and you actually read every sentence, you know. And if you don't know what it means, look it up. And nowadays with influencers, a lot of the contracts have become quite standardized. But you have to explain it to the talent, you know, and you have to kind of say, here's the terms of the deal. And also here's your creative concept that you need to stay within bounds of, you know, go create the content, come back to me. That's like the biggest fire, I would say, is contracts. With Deemery, we're going through a process where we are considering our next capital raise, which is exciting. And um, we're doing a lot of like internal auditing of of the technology and of the you know operational side of the business and figuring out 
exactly how much we need to raise and why we need to raise it. What holes do you kind of see the cast agency filling? Because it seems pretty different from other talent agencies for Broadway stars. That's right. I mean, and that that was, that's exactly, that is the niche, is that one, we, we were hyper-focused on Broadway actors uh, here in New York who, uh, you know, you've they've got tremendous audiences because they've got two different sides of their audience. They've got the affluent couple that have come in from out of town <laughs> who want to see a show and they enjoy wine and cigars and watches and <laughs> You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then you also have the other side of their audience, which is like that beautiful little theater gay who is just like <laughs> dying mm-hmm. to meet, you know, the star of the show that he just saw and then follows them on social media adamantly. And so they've got tremendous audiences that brands can use to, you know, use the influencer to talk to. And so we really are filling that gap where these Broadway actors previously their stage and screen agencies were not necessarily being proactive in promoting them as digital influencers. And when we started and we were sourcing our talent, we had to sit down with a lot of management companies and existing agencies to be like, here is the gap in your contract that we are going to fulfill. And hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Like we're not trying to take away, we're never going to cast our talent on, on like a TV show or on the Broadway stage, but rather anything that's like advertising, marketing, um, social media oriented in person, those types of activations, those that's what we handle. I don't think I really realized how big Broadway, because I just moved to New York, how big Broadway stars could be until I saw the star power that Lin-Manuel Miranda that's had, right. where it's just like, you have so much influence over so many people. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and Lin is, um, you know, an enigma in that sense. Or he's an outlier because there aren't very many that have transitioned to a household name. But the success of Hamilton was undeniable. And that has bled into his own personal influence. But uh, there, we, there's a few that we've that we have that we that, you know, we see ultimately yeah, get exposure on a TV show and it helps them. But they're Broadway at heart. And yeah. that's that's who we have. Like Billy Porter. Like beautiful Billy. <laughs> What's it like to work with him? He's divine. I mean, he's really fun. You know, he's mm-hmm. enjoying every moment of this and he's having so much fun with fashion and his stylist Sam Martell and him are working super hard on looks for the upcoming Emmys and fashion week. We leave on Friday. So it's, he's, he's really great to work with a lot of energy, which is phenomenal. What's your favorite part of your multiple jobs? I like the gratification that they award me. I used to have investors that would say like, well, how many people do you have on your on your team? And I'm like, I really, I would be upset because I was like, I don't know, four, six, like mm-hmm. not many. But then if you look back now, I've been a, a business owner for 10 years and that I've employed hundreds of people and adding to the economy in that way is something I'm really proud of. Freelancers, you know, nowadays millennials are not sticking at one job and building a career there. You're, you hire as need. I've met some tremendous people that I have been able to follow their careers and they've been able to follow mine. And that's my favorite part of what I, of having multiple businesses and, and being in it for so long. But then it's also like, I love putting out a fire. Like I, problem solving, <laughs> being solution oriented and just thinking about like, let's not sit here and bitch about what's wrong. Let's just kind of fix it. And, you know, I love kind of when you look back and when a campaign gets launched and you know every detail that had to go into that and all the conversations and emails and hard work. And it's just really rewarding. Um, so, yeah, I think it's mainly the working with people and the creative, the you know, the creativity that it forces out of you. Yeah, definitely. I feel like social media is probably one of the most creative spaces, like, right now. And being able to kind of just focus on that with, like, these multiple different venues is really cool. Yeah. 
So Icon has an awards yep. thing coming. How are you? How's how are you measuring awards? Like who's voting on that? Yeah. So the awards are open to the public to vote, and so there are twenty five categories, and uh, we are asking the influencers, you know, to get their audience involved and uh, and to vote for them in the various categories. And uh, it's available at uh, iconconvention.com. And uh, it's going to be really fun to see who gets kind of which categories. And a lot of people are being nominated that are really appreciative of the exposure, you know, and of the just the acknowledgement that they're doing good work. And we want to celebrate those those people who really deserve it. So our categories are unlike other awards that are placed in digital. And, and we're trying to just kind of showcase really authentic, well-produced you know, smart content creators. Have there been influencer awards before? Or is this yeah, kind I think of... there are like two or three other, like, um, you know, even down to like the Webby Awards and like, mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. there's one that I forget the name of it, but um, they look like whale tails. <laughs> <laughs> like the yeah. actual award itself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are definitely other awards in the space. So one of my last questions is, what is the one thing that people misunderstand about your job that you wish that they understood? I think that a lot of people rush into creating a business without doing the proper legwork of truly understanding what it's going to take uh, financially, legally, you know, to get the entity started and, and, and rolling. And so I think that a lot of people misunderstand, you know, the amount of work that goes into being an entrepreneur because you have to wear a dozen different hats when you first start. And that takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of discipline and focus. And I think a lot of people when you hear like, oh, they're, they're an entrepreneur, I, I think that there's like this, okay, so he's unemployed. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. She's yeah. working real hard out here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's one thing about entrepreneurship that I think like people don't realize the amount just of work that it, it gets to have a successful business. You know, to make a dollar, let alone a million, is like a huge, so much work. And then to working with influencers, I think a lot of people, yeah, the the general misconception is just that it's a bunch of like, thoughtless people taking selfies, posting content, and being paid exorbitant amount of money for it. And um, I think that there's a huge misconception about how to value influencers numerically, you know, with all the data that we have available. And I think that a lot of people assume that when they, there's just like this, you know, it's like there's a dark side to influencer marketing. And I just, I so push back on that. I don't think that there is. Yeah, it seems like the dark side is very much just the pitfalls of any advertising agency. It's just on social media. Agree. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a good conversation. Yeah, I think. this has been really great. That's it for this episode of Working. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Rachel Hampton. Thank you so much to our producer, Jessmine Molly. Special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can reach us at working at slate.com.